this is the most important lesson that I think that you could possibly get for the balance of your lifetime. This isn't something I want you to cognitively go from your mind to your spirit. I want the mind of Christ who is in you to bear witness to you about the truth about who he is. Because these aren't words. This is a person. Christ is a person. The Spirit of God is a living, breathing person who resides within the follower of Christ. And he wants to show you things. He wants to say things to you that are so real. He wants you to feel things about him in an intimacy that is like no other so that somehow each and every one of us in this room would, when you leave, will have a better understanding of just how loved you are. Because God in who he is, what does it say in 1 John 4? God is love. The person of God is love. Before Adam and Eve ate from the tree, they walked in the cool of the garden with God, and they didn't have a negative emotion. There was nothing, that, there was not disappointment, there was not fear, there was not anger, there was not, I mean, there was not even a bad emotion. Can you, I mean, walking with God, like, hey God, how's it going? Well, really good, I'm God. Uh, how's it going with you? Well, really good, you're God and you've taken care of everything I could ever need. Isn't this awesome? Yes, and walking in the cool of the garden with you is just so amazing because I know I belong and you've done all this for me. And then there came a day when he said, you know, everything that I've done, I've done for you. That you would be able to live and move and breathe with me and we would have fellowship for the balance of our days. But there's just one thing I want to make sure that you don't do. And that's eat from this tree. Because if you do, you're going to lose all this. Amen? And guess what? As soon as, that's the first place anywhere in the word of God where it shows that God said something that they shouldn't do. Right? The first thing that he put up something that say, you could do all this, but just don't do that. Well, we know from scripture that that was a great opportunity then for the evil one to just go right there. Because now there's something to come against it, right? So I can't do that. And then what? We can even read. Let's just read Genesis 2.16. Uh, but the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. They didn't even know what die meant. They didn't know what it meant, but they knew that they couldn't do that thing because God said they couldn't. So what does happen next in verse 13? Well, then the Lord, asked, the Lord God asked the woman, uh, no, I'm sorry, Genesis 3, 8. When the cool of the evening breezes were blowing, which there were so oftentimes together, right? The man and his wife heard the Lord walking about the garden so they hid from the Lord among the trees. And then the Lord called to the man, where are you? Like he didn't know. <laughs> right? But he knew, he knew something happened. As soon as this thing had happened, 
all of a sudden the walking in the cool of the garden just got ruined. And what were they doing? They were hiding. They were hiding for fear because they knew something. They didn't even know they were naked before. Who told you you were naked? Amen. They didn't even know what that meant. And all of a sudden they felt, and isn't it interesting that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil allowed them to see that they were naked? It showed them evil. Wow. So all of a sudden it showed them fear. It showed them what they did, weren't ever expected to even know. Boy, wouldn't it be great if we could just undo all that? <laughs> just undo it all and just to walk in the cool of the garden with God without shame or guilt or feeling like we were in fear of anything and, and we could just be who we are and wouldn't have any of those negative emotions of fear or shame or guilt or any of those things that keeps us hidden. Like he's even saying to you right now, where are you? Like where are you? He knows where you are, but where are you? Have you, have you been listening to the lies that have been designed to kill you? Amen? Bring death, you will surely die. What does sin do? Separates you from love. It separates you from love. And so when we walk in sin or we do something that we know is not right, the last place we want to do is run to God. Matter of fact, the more we do, the farther we get away from him. And we even build up walls around ourselves to protect ourselves and justify what we're doing. So somehow we could find peace in that. But the Father's love, when we decided to eat of the tree, and whatever you've decided to do yesterday or the day before or today, this morning, that is separating you from God, is separating you from God's love in you. I got the chance to be at a retreat this last weekend with, a, with about 80 men. And there were six different churches, pastors that spoke, a lot of breakout sessions with some really good teaching in them. All good steps to, you know, how to be a better husband, you know. What it, the theme of it was bold. That was the theme that men would stand up and share their faith, etc. And I had an opportunity to share my heart as it relates to the love of the Father. And what real boldness is, is us being able to show love unto others. That's boldness. To be who God created me to be. And to be able to be that man, regardless of the circumstances around me, that's bold, that's courageous. And it comes from a place. It comes from a place that you can't manufacture. It comes from a place that you can't get propped up or motivated up or, or read up on or, or really try harder to do. It comes only from one and one source alone, and that is from the love of the Father, filling you men to overflowing the love of Christ at the end of the men's conference there was there was some time left they had like two hours left before the the camp needed to close so they opened the mic it was all over for anybody that might have a testimony that they wanted to share about the weekend it was overwhelming amongst that room like 90 plus percent of the men that were in that room 
wanted more love in their life. They were emotionally disconnected from their spouses. They were doing their work and they were, their wives were getting the rest of them, not the best of them. They were compartmentalizing and believing that God was uh, three steps to and how to manage your life here and to be better and to do more works here and get involved in a Bible study here and share your faith, more faith over here. But at the end of the day, they were star- every one of them were starving for more love. I believe in this room right here that most of you have no idea how loved you are. I believe that you have protected yourself from the love of God in such a way that if he came right now and landed, like, and just started to pour his love on you, you would somehow, like, say, you would somehow resist it. Because it doesn't, you don't feel worthy. You don't feel like it's something that you're not doing enough, or I don't know enough, or whatever it is. But his love is a person. And he so wants you to know that you are loved beyond measure. Like you weren't doing anything wrong when he started loving you. And no matter what you do, doesn't change his love for you because it's his person. He is love. He's the character of love. He's the person of love. He's the author of love. He's the inventor of love. He is the power of love. The power of the love that resides within me loves my bride. Like you, you have no idea how much I love my bride. You have no idea. And the only, Elijah has a general idea. <laughs> but I say this, I say this, and, and my wife loves me like crazy. And she does, she loves me like crazy. But it does not depend on anything that I do for her or she does for me. It comes from the love that's in us to fullness, to overflowing, so that it pours out on each other regardless of how we're behaving. I don't care if she's in a bad mood. I get to love her anyway. And guess what? It's not my fault. It just isn't. If I've done something, I'm easily reminded of it. She's good at that. (laughs) But when she does, it gives me an opportunity to come under and tell her I love her and that everything is going to be okay. And it's just, we weep together over the love that we have for each other. We weep over it. Because we know love. We know the person of love. We know the personality of love. We know the promises of love. We know the destiny of love on my life. We know know that the shame and the guilt and the condemnation and the sin itself has no place in my life because the finished work of the cross has completely covered it and he sees me as righteous and without spot or without blemish. And when I begin to see myself the way he sees me, guess what? I can love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength. And then I can begin to love on Rochelle the way I love on me. 
I, I believe, see, there was men that would come up to me and they would say, Jay, is there a way that you could impart in me what you have? How humbling. It was, it was, it was like, it was so humbling. But in the same vein, it's like, I can't impart anything on you. I can sure love you. I'm, I'm loving on you. What I have you want, but you have it. It's not an it, it's a he. The impartation comes from him and him alone. Sunday mornings are so awesome because we can come together, and I believe that many of you enjoy coming here on Sunday mornings because I love you. I believe that. I believe that many of you come here and are, feel comfortable here because you get loved on here. And, and guess what? I don't care how, if you love me back. I know you do. I don't have to. I wonder. But it, it doesn't make or break my day. And I, it doesn't make or break my day because love comes from the source of love. And when, and when you're loving on me from the source of love, I mean, it's, over, it's overwhelming. And it's happening in this church. We're on to something here. It's not about performance. It's not about works. It's about identity and living in and moving in and breathing in what the promises are about who Christ says that we are and that we touch one another's lives and really love each other. Not pretend to love, as the word says, but really love each other. And what does that mean? What does it mean to love each other? It means that I look at you the way Christ looks at you. Man, it's so good to see you, Josh. It's been a long time, man. I've been praying for you, dude. And I know that the Holy Spirit has been just doing a mighty work in you. I haven't seen you forever, but your countenance is different. Like your eyes are a lamp onto your heart, and things have changed in your life. And God has become so much more real to you, and what he has been is he's shown you love. Hasn't he? Yeah, he has. And you want to even cry about it, and it's okay. (laughs) Can we give the Lord a praise offering? And I got a sneaking hunch. I got a sneaking hunch he taught you in some really tough stuff. Amen. He, he shows himself mighty in the really tough stuff when you really need love, when you really need comfort, when you really need strength, when you really need the, the one thing that man has always failed you in providing. And when you get to that desperate place, and you get to that place where nothing else is satisfying and, and we've tried everything else and then we go to the source and then he starts to respond. He touches that one spot. He starts saying things into your life about yourself like, I think you're precious and like, are you, sh- are you talking to me? If you only begin to see yourself the way he sees you. Like I think that many of you in this room, and this might sound insulting, but if you had as high of an opinion of you as I do, you'd have a higher opinion of yourself. Do you see that? And that's because you're still listening to the deceiver. The one who met in the garden, he's meeting with you every day, and he's telling you, don't do that, and you better not do that again. And if you do that, then this. And, and you're getting that place, and you're hiding from love himself. He so wants you to come out of the trees. He sees you anyway. 
He's made provision for you through his son, through the death on the cross, to where he doesn't see those things on you. You just keep bringing them back on you. Oh, wouldn't it be awesome again if we could just be in the cool of the garden? We can. Christ has made a way for that. He's made the way. The Lord asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she said. That's why I ate it. What has the serpent deceived you in? What lies have you believed even about yourself? So, John 8, this is Jesus speaking, 42 to 44. Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me. If God were your father, because God is love, right? Jesus is saying, if God were your father, you would love me because I have come to you from love, from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. Some of you guys got such blockage in your ears that you can't even hear what I've told you thus far this morning. There's so much built up, so much fear, resentment, abandonment, unworthiness, whatever it is. Oh, he failed me, or church did this to me, or whatever. Dad, my dad was like this, or my, whatever, all that stuff. Jesus said, if you knew God, you would love me. And why can't you understand what I'm saying? For you are children of your father, the devil. I didn't say this now, Okay. And you love to do the evil things he does. You know what he loves to do? Make you feel guilty. Some of you love to feel guilty. It's like you couldn't imagine seeing yourself without it on you. Some of you love to feel unworthy. Like because that's your identity. It's how you see yourself. And whenever somebody tries to encourage you or edify you or build you up, you're just like... Huh? Right? So who are, you, who are you listening to? The deceiver. And it's really bluntly put here. I think Jesus is saying it so we recognize that it, we got to get mad at the right thing. we got to get mad at the right thing. The deceiver is deceiving you. It's not God. It's the devil himself. And you should get angry that you're being obedient to that jerk. You with me? You should be angry at that. Not at yourself, but how did I fall to this? Again and again and again. Because if you're feeling guilty about yourself today or shame about yourself, you're believing a lie about yourself. You've been deceived. Oh, I hate that guy. Oh, I hate that guy. And he's dead to me. He has no power over me. He has none over you. Christ has given us victory because of what he's done on the cross. We're just going into battle with ourselves most of the time, and he's beating the snot out of us. And we hear the roar, and we begin to fear. We begin to shame. We begin to guilt and all that. Man, if you could see him, you just walk up to him, the power of the Holy Spirit, you just say, get out of here. You got no power over this life. It was purchased by the blood of the King of Kings. 
Get behind me in Jesus' name. Resist them and they will flee from you. But if you're cowering in the corner over what you've heard the devil say to you, he's going to keep saying the same things. Oh, it's time to stand up. Stand up and recognize who we are in Christ and call out ugly as ugly. And we don't have to wear any of it. When you see, when you come into this church and you see my bride, you're going to see love. You're not going to see shame or guilt. You're not going to see, see condemnation. You're not going to see rejection. You're going to see love. Why? Because she puts it on. She puts it on because that's what Christ asked us to do. Put on humility and love and peace and kindness. And it says also in the same scripture, put off guilt, shame, anger, resentment, bitterness. Put it off. So we have a part. He's done the work. What's our part? Throw it off. I am a consummate optimist because that's who God is. God is in a good mood. And he really loves you. More than life itself. And he thought it was so critically important that he restore that love relationship with you that he sent his son to take all of the things that you're putting on yourself, he put it on his own son so you wouldn't be carrying all this stuff. But the deceiver is working diligently and keeping you in the same place he has for years. So I, suffice to say, he was a murderer from the beginning. He always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. And when he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he's a liar and he's the father of lies. Ephesians 2.1 You were once dead because you ate the fruit. You were once dead because I told you don't do this and you did it. You lived in sin just like everybody else. Obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world, he is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So if God says to you, put off shame, but you're still carrying shame, are you being disobedient? <laughs> oh, but my sin, you don't understand. If you only knew how bad I am, uh, that's pride, isn't it? Like, my sin is so bad that God wasn't quite enough for me. So when you carry shame, you're really listening to the deceiver once again, aren't you? It's really quiet in here. I think that's good. But God, so rich in mercy and loved us so much that even though we were dead because of all this stuff, he gave, his, gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that that love relationship has been restored. By God's grace, that love relationship has been restored. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. Who are you united, united with? Christ Jesus. 
And what does united mean? The two become one. Can you see it? What's the deceiver telling you right now? Something like, yeah, but. Or what about the simplicity of the gospel? The evil one wants to make it more complex than it is. If you would just be able to allow the love of God to penetrate right where you're at, the simplicity of your relationship was restored with him and you get to walk in the cool of the garden with him and he doesn't see anything but perfection in you. If you could allow yourself to see that. Oh, but Jay, I make mistakes. Well, good for you. I, I'll, you don't need to be reminded about your mistakes. You need to be reminded and convicted of your righteousness. The Holy Spirit says, says I've come to convict the world of its sin and of its righteousness. Nobody needs to remind me when I'm bad. Huh? Anybody need any help with that? Uh, we're pretty good at that. How many need help with seeing themselves without spot or blemish? All of us. And who can do that? The Spirit of God. Love. Love covers a multitude of sins. And, and for those who have been forgiven much, love much. That's us. If you understand the magnitude of the depravity that you are in apart from Christ... And all that he's done to cover that, man, the cross will begin to be a picture that you can say yes and amen. I'm so grateful that he paid this precious price so I could have the walk in the garden again. I could be loved by the king of kings and I don't have to get dressed up first and he loves me just, just the way I am. So he says, so God can point to us in all future generations as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness towards us. You're familiar with the scripture that says it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. It's not the hammer that leads us. It's not getting caught that turns you around. You with me? There's a lot of people like, they get caught and then apologize because they're sorry they got caught. And they know that if they apologize, the punishment might not be quite as bad. Christ sees you forgiven. And if you see yourself forgiven, he's longing for you to see what he sees, what does that do? Creates relationship again. Restores relationship. You don't need to be reminded you made a mistake. You need to be reminded that he adopted you as his own and he calls you a piece of the master. That's hard to be reminded of when you feel like you deserve something other than that. Thank God, but God in his mercy, not by your works, but what he's done. His kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with him in Christ Jesus. God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift of God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done. So none of us can boast about it. For we are God's masterpiece. I love that. 
Start say, speaking that over yourselves. You are truly a piece of the master. And he wants you to see that he don't make junk. He makes things beautiful. And he created you. Like he, when he created you, he, he didn't say, well, that wasn't really what I thought I wanted. But if you look different to someone next to you, it's by his unique design. None of our eyes are the same. None of our fingerprints are the same. None of them. None of us. We're different on purpose. And what do we call weird? Anybody different than us. So we're all weird. Get over it. <laughs> but he made us this. I, it's, a, it's a picture. God has a picture and he created us in this picture. And, we, and he has a destiny on our life as the body of Christ. He has a destiny on this group of people right here. And he has this picture and he sees you in it. And he sees you in that place and your, your space is just you. It's like it's shaped uniquely you. They can try, ever try to put a piece of puzzle in one that isn't quite right, even though they all look the same, they got a little different, we say, you kind of squeeze it in there. God made you perfect for that piece of the picture. And we all have such a significant part in the overall picture of love. But we got to see ourselves the way he sees us in the picture to be effective in his plan. But we, uh, we look like, oh gosh, I, and, and the people around you, I love this. I think this is purposed by God. Like the people that are around you, that in your relationships, not always family, but those close, really tight relationships on this picture, they fit like right next to your pieces. Like he's orchestrated it. Like, like Rochelle and I, we just fit, man. We just fit. We don't have to try to squish stuff in. And God, that's by God's design. The only time we've ever tried to have to squish stuff in is when our identity was off the mark. Trying to be something that we weren't. So the authenticity of who he's made us and to allow ourselves to see ourselves the way he's seen us and celebrate that, that's where the loving ourselves comes from. And then we can begin to love on others. Is that good or what? I think that's awesome. For we as masterpieces, look at this. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. Like he's waiting for us to get it. There's so much he wants to do. Colossians 1. This is who Christ is. Christ is the invisible or the visible image of the invisible God. He's the visible image of love. He existed before anything was created and he's supreme over all creation. Through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. 
He existed before anything else and he holds creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He's the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. He is first in everything. That's worth a stop right there, isn't it? Is he first in everything in your own life? He is in his supremacy. He's first in everything. And he will be first. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone will. Is he first? Seek him first. And what does it say? All these things will be added on to you. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He restored the Father's love the way it was originally intended to be. Reconciled it. Brought it right back together as if it had never been broken. Hmm. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth through Christ's blood on the cross. Now again, see, it's not your work. It's not what you did or how you did it. It was all done through the punishment of what we deserve onto his own son on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by what? Your evil thoughts and actions. Now we think of that as some sort of crime or you know, ra uh, radical disobedience or something like that, but that's just not even living. It's basically not living in the truth, isn't it? I mean, isn't it? If I'm living in my past and who I was and not living in who I am in Christ, am I not literally separating myself from him? And yet he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. This is his work. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault right now. Man, this place should be happier than it is. <laughs> what are you wrestling with? What lie are you believing about yourself that's not making the scripture come alive? Because if you're believing a lie about yourself, you're being captive, held captive by a lie. And it might even be a stronghold that you've kept to protect yourself, yourself from something. Maybe love has wounded you or some form of love has wounded you. Maybe even the church has wounded you. So you have this guard up and the Lord says, I reconciled you unto myself. I did all the work. He sees you without spot or blemish whether you do or not. First John 2, he himself is the sacrifice that atones our sins, not only ours, but the sins of all the world. Do not love the world, nor the things it offers you, for when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only cravings for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Can you see how the enemy lures us into what 
love it looks like, doesn't he? He lures us into having this, wanting more of that, if I only had this, and all that goes along with it. So we compartmentalize. So we have our love really twisted because we don't know love. Love is a person, and we've been given a counterfeit. We've been duped. And so we've been attracted to these things, and, and the evil one himself has been given rule over this world, so he's allowed to tempt us in these areas. So what do we do? We put our foot on the dock and one on the boat. Right? Here we go. And then you untie the boat. How long is it going to go? There's going to come a day, isn't there, where you're going to have to make a decision on what truly is love, what truly is driving you, who are you really serving? Are you serving your father, the devil, who is the commander of the things of the world, deceiving you, taking you down a road that you were never intended to be on? Or have you decided that you're going to grab a hold of the truth of God's word and what he says about you and live in that place regardless of what the world is clamoring? Amen. And that comes from a resolve and an understanding to say, forever and a day, no choice. As for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. That's what we do. If we make that resolve and you make that resolve, that's not just a decoration, a cross on your neck. It's a declaration. It says, that's what I am. That's who I am. That's how I know who I am. And I'm going to walk in that place. And guess what? I get to be exactly who God created me to be all of the time. All the time. Friday night, Sunday morning, Wednesday afternoon. When you run into Jay, you're going to find the same guy. You are. And it's so freeing. It's so awesome. I don't have like this chameleon deal anymore. It's so awesome. So, can, can love find a place in your heart to the point where you know that you know in the place that you know that you are loved and everything is going to be okay. Regardless of circumstance, regardless of what's going on around you, he, is he, have you asked him? I shared with a couple a little while ago, we were doing a little premarital counseling, but Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Well, it does tell you so. But he'll show you. Won't he? He wants to show you. If you were to be in the stillness of your quiet place and say, Lord, will you just show me how much you love me? I mean, I want to feel your love, God. Emotions have come from you. I want the cool of the garden. I want the into me see. I want to know love. And to know love is to feel loved. And it is an emotion. It's overwhelming. It lays you on your face. It causes you to have to praise. You can't help it. Sometimes it's so embarrassing, it's goofy. I cry just about every day now. And I'm so good with it. Matter of fact, if I don't, I'm wondering, what did, it, what did I do? What fruit did I eat? 
that I love to be loved on. And I want more of it. I want more. He's got more. He says he would fill us to the fullness of his love. And I can't imagine what that looks like. I can't wait for my life about 10 years from now. I just, oh man, I'm going to be a puddle. (laughs) But it's real. Friends, And he's available to you, not just on Sunday mornings when you come here. He's available to you all the time, and he wants to show you that he's so real when you're not here. So that when you come here, it won't be a situation where you come for triage. I love to be in an emergency room here, and if you're in need of the love of God, you've come to the right place, because we want to pray for you. We want to love on you and allow you to be healed in whatever it is you got going on. But I would love for us to come in on Sunday mornings praising before we get to the door. Look at what God has done in my life today. And guess, we get a choice. We have a choice. 